Galatians 6, verses 7 through 16. And when you have it, please stand. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As many desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I boast in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. God's word for God's people and God's people said amen. amen. You may be seated. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about Paul's final instructions. Um, as I was working on my MBA, uh, we had a groups we would break up into. And that's how we did all of our work in these different groups. And we have individual assignments for each class, and then we'd have group assignments for each class. So it usually broke up about either out of a six-week uh, rotation somewhere with four individual assignments and two group or uh, three individual assignments and two group or something like that. But I had a guy in my group that I thought was pretty interesting because he always was able to get the work done. Uh, our professors, and, and by work, I mean not like homework and quizzes, I mean the reading. They would give us a whole bunch of stuff to read. And he would always have something to say about every book. I don't know about y'all, but I didn't read every book that the teacher told me sometimes until after I finished the class. But we'd have to have group discussions, and he had something to say about every book. And I had to ask him one time, I was like, how, how do you manage to get all of this reading in? Because we all had jobs, we all had families of some sort, and I was working two jobs at the time and still trying to work on my MBA, so I got the papers in, I got the home, if, if I was going to be scored on it, it got done, but if he just told us to read something to be reading it, I, I might not get to it. Just got to be honest about it. And, uh, he said, well, I don't read the whole book cover to cover. I read the first paragraph and the last paragraph of each chapter. And for the paragraphs in between the first and the last, I usually only read the first and the last sentence. And that's usually enough because they say what point they're trying to prove in the first paragraph. And they talk about how they prove it in the last paragraph. And each sentence in the first paragraph that they read, in the, last par in the, la the first sentence in the paragraph and the last sentence usually state the, the gist of the work. And he was able to do that and, and 
pass most of the classes with flying colors because he had enough of the reading done to, to contribute to a paper. Uh, I say that because I look at the last chapter of Galatians, and this is the last chapter of Galatians where the Apostle Paul is really driving his point home. Uh, for the fa past few weeks, we have been walking through Galatians, and in Galatians, we've had a, a situation where the people in the church had accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, and then some other church folk came around and told them that wasn't enough. You needed some extra stuff to be done in order to really be in the fold. Ain't that like church folk? People come and they want to give their life to Christ and they want to learn about Jesus and they want to do all these things. And then the seasoned saints come to them and say, you ain't done enough yet. We need a little bit more from you before you can really be saved. You just kind of saved right there. But we need a little bit more from you so you can meet our standards. And so what the entire book of Galatians was pretty much about was Paul trying to set these people straight. That's why he talked about a competing gospel in the first couple chapters of the text because these people were Christians. Well, they didn't call them Christians then, but these were believers, those who followed the way. These were people that were teaching the gospel and somebody else who was teaching the gospel was trying to add to the gospel. And he used the circumcision in the text as an as a, as a overlay for everything that they were supposed to be doing, but he basically said that these other people that were missionaries were prov providing a competing gospel than that that he had preached to the churches in this area. And he was here writing this letter back to them to let them know, hey, that is not the way this is supposed to go. Jesus is for everybody, and Jesus is enough. And so he tells the people in the text, I didn't read it in your hearing, it's, it's, it's interesting because I'm what they call a lectionary preacher, and so I choose from one of four scriptures every week to preach, and they kind of walked through Galatians, but they skipped over a couple parts in the reading, and I, I, I still think that there are different things in the reading, even though we didn't read that part, that still can, can be applied to our lives. And so in the first verse, he talks about sharing and caring. Let the church say sharing and caring. Sharing and caring. Uh, we have different laws, not the laws of, 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 uh, that are being followed the, of what to eat and what to wear and those kind of things. But there, when I say a law at this point, Paul has laws that I've called them laws because there are certain things that are predictable consequences of an action, like the law of gravity. You throw something up, it's going to come down. That's a law. It's predictable. You know it's going to happen. And so these are the kind of laws I'm talking about when he talks about the law of sharing and caring. And it, and it says in, in, the, in the first couple of verses, brethren, if a man is overtaken with any, any trespass, you who are more spiritual, who are spiritual, restore such one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Those of us who are in the step with the spirit ought to be able to reach out to those who have fallen by the wayside and reach out to them gently. Those of us who are in the spirit need to be able to reach out to those who are not in the spirit and do so gently. All right, all right. 
lest we get tempted ourselves. We are not that much better than anybody else. We are not better than anybody else by any means. So who are we to look down on anybody else? I say time and time again that people don't have a problem with God. People don't have a problem with Jesus. People don't have a problem with church. The problem that people have is with the people that are in the building. You are always somebody's representation of somebody's perception of a Christian. You're the only Bible they're going to read. You're the only sermon they're going to hear. And they're making their decision about this Jesus that you claim to follow based on how you treat them. And so we ought to be able to share and care with each other. And that includes loving your neighbor. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees in Matthew, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Saying, teacher, which of the laws is the greatest? The greatest com- teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. All your soul and all your mind. And this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two laws hang all the, the, the hang, on these two commandments rather hang all the law and the prophets. We are commanded to love one another. We are commanded to love one another. They say the third time's a charm. We are commanded to love one another. Not to point out everybody else's sins, not to downgrade them, not to talk about them, not to treat them evilly, not to expect them to just come on up out of it and be like us because we've got all our stuff together. We're perfect. We're Jesus vice president. Jesus Jr. in here. And so we got to point out what everybody else has got going on. No, that is not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love. If you show the love, the rest of the stuff will come along. But if I don't show any love, you won't care what I have to say. And so we are called to share and care with one another and we are called to love. You cannot be a Christian outside of community. You cannot be a Christian outside of community. You cannot be a Christian outside of community, meaning if you've got Jesus, you've got to share it with people. And that doesn't mean you're necessarily going door to door and passing out tracts and handing out brochures in the Walmart parking lot about try Jesus. It's how you treat people. It's how you treat the people you work with. It's how you treat the people you go to school with. It's how you treat the person that you co pass in the store. How do you talk to people? Treat them in love. And not only are we called to love our neighbor, we are also called to love our enemy. Uh Uh, Uh-oh. Hello? Hello? It's still what we are also called to love our enemy. That's not me. That's Jesus. In the gospel, according to Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48, it says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rains on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? And if you greet your brethren only, what are you doing more than others? Do even the tax collectors do so? 
Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. It's easy to speak well to people you like. It's easy to talk to people that you want to talk to. It's easy to do good to people that you want to do good. But, but what good is that? Jesus is saying even the tax collectors do that. Those who take advantage of their own people. Even they do that. But therefore they want you to be perfect. Just as your father in heaven is perfect. And that is not the most literal translation of the word when they talk about perfect. The, 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 uh, the, the word is uh, teleosis or teleology. Is, is Sometimes it's the pursuit of a goal. It's the accomplishment of something. It's the pursuit of perfection. So it doesn't mean that you are perfect when you do this. It means that you're always stretching for a goal. We should always be growing. Anything that does not grow is dead. So even if you think you've got it all together, I guarantee there's a still a way to go. And it goes on because we have to love our neighbor and love our enemies. And then it says in verse 3, for anyone thinks himself to be something, then he is nothing. He deceives himself. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, for he is nothing. He deceives himself. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, he is nothing. He deceives himself. If you think that you are perfect, you are lying to yourself. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Instead of spending the time trying to look at what's wrong with everybody else, why don't we sweep around our own front porch? Why don't we look at what we're doing ourselves? There's a whole lot that we could look on ourselves to improve, but it's easier to point out somebody else's flaws. Because when you point out somebody else's flaws, nobody's looking at you. So Paul urges the Galatians or the Galatian Christians to examine themselves. And, for, and then it says, let him examine his own work that will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. You spend enough time trying to improve upon yourself, you won't have time to look at all these other people. Something that I've noticed about people who are great in any field, be it business, be it athletes, be it musicians, be it whatever, they don't spend too much time worrying about what the next person's doing. They're always trying to get better on, them, on themselves. If they, if they interact with somebody else, it's to learn something about what they're doing. Oh, what is that they did? Let me learn how to do that so I can get better. It's not to point out what somebody else is wrong. It's not to be a hater to everybody else. They're concerned about improving themselves. And the better that they do about that, the better they get at whatever it is they want to do. Examine our own selves. And then it says, for each shall bear his own load. Paul is encouraging Christians to help each other with the burden of overcoming temptation. And basically, Paul is saying that we shouldn't take pride in how much better we are than others. Because in the end, God is the only judge. We ought to be able to share in our burdens with each other if we have something that we are struggling with, if we can get with other people who are struggling with it to overcome their strength in that community. Right. Their strength in gathering together. 
And it's interesting to see how different organizations away from the church take what's in the Bible and use it for themselves and are extremely successful about it. A bunch of people coming together to overcome temptation. I'm not saying anything against any of the anonymous communities, but that's exactly what they did. Gathered together, I struggle with alcohol, you struggle with alcohol, let's get together and encourage each other. I struggle with drugs, you struggle with drugs, let's get together and encourage each other. I struggle with sex, you struggle with sex, let's get together and encourage each other. Why is it that they can do it and not do anything with the church, but we can't do it ourselves? So we have to get together and encourage each other. And then we go to verse 6. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. I find it funny that certain scriptures are not put into the lectionary. I'm not saying the lectionary is bad. I like the lectionary because it, it allows me a variety. And over the course of a three-year time period, I can cover a whole lot of the Bible. And I pride myself in trying to improve my biblical literacy. And I pride myself in trying to improve the biblical literacy of those I am responsible for teaching. The one thing I don't want anybody to do is to leave from under something that I taught and hear something that is not taught in other, or leave from me and have somebody come from there and say, well, did you know about this, this, and this? And when they hear about it the first time, they leave the faith hmm. because a pastor only taught what made his pockets fat. Hmm. Because a pastor only taught what got the people up shouting and clapping and hallelujah and good job, preach pastor. And so I like the lectionary, but I also see some things it leaves out. So there will come a time where I depart from the lectionary because I want to preach those hard scriptures. Mm-hmm. I want to preach the scripture where it talks about somebody wishing that their enemy's child's head was bashed against the mm. rock. Mm. That's in the Bible. Mm. And I'm going to have to cover it one time or another because that could be used against somebody going to college. Almost everybody I grew up with went to college, ended up leaving the faith because they were taught somebody brought up the hard stuff in the Bible. And they didn't touch it. So I said that to say that all of these scriptures was not covered in the lectionary. The lectionary passage actually starts at verse 7. But verse 6, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who preach, who teaches. Pay your pastors. Hmm. Amen. Pay the people that work for the church. Amen. <sighs> Amen. 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 Podium. Amen. Amen. Some of the most angriest people I've ever met with church hurt are those who start working for a church. I've got a friend, I ask him every time I see him, I saw him on Friday. How's it going? You still love Jesus? And he, has, he thinks it's funny, but I'm serious because he's working for a church. And he hasn't finished college yet. And sometimes when you get too close to a church, sometimes when you get behind the scenes and find out all the stuff that goes on Monday through Friday... Sometimes when you have to clock in at a church, it gets a little harder. 
and that pastor that you love so much, you start to dislike, even hate. But I submit to you that that is an environment that comes because oftentimes the people that are on this side of the stage aren't taken care of by the church. And not just preaching or paying, rather. Sometimes how we treat them. Sometimes how we talk to them. Sometimes some of the stuff that we expect from them. We can run off those who are responsible for teaching us. So let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches all good things. If the word blessed you, say so. If the music blessed you, say so. The person printing the bulletins, if that blessed you, say so. That's all it takes is somebody to have been doing something for 20 years without any kind of thanks and you badmouth them one good time and that's it. Not only are they done doing whatever it was they were doing diligently in the church, but they done with the church. Take care of your people. Now we get to the part in the reading. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he shall also reap. This is God we're talking about. The beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the creator of all things, the unmoved mover, the one who sits outside of creation. God. He is not to be mocked. And what, he was, what Paul was talking about, and he's talked about it all over the text, is if you are saying that Jesus is not enough, that if God sending his son to die for our sins is not enough, you're saying God failed. Now, they hadn't out and out mocked God, but they came dangerously close. And you get what you put, you get out what you put in. You get out exactly what you put in. So if you sow hating, if you plant seeds of hate, you're going to grow plants of hate. If you plant seeds of doubt, you're going to grow seed plants of doubt. If you plant seeds of lying, you're going to grow a plant of lying. You get out what you put into it. And those who only sow the sinful desires are reaping death. But those who sow the good will reap everlasting life. So if you sow good things into people, you will get good fruit from them. If you speak well of people, you'll get good things from them. And we do this for the promise of eternal life. For those who sow of the Spirit will reap eternal life. And let us not Grow weary while doing good. I've, I've been thinking about this passage for a while because I have a couple of friends and colleagues that have started businesses. And I'll be honest, I've even thought about it in things that I've done both personally and professionally. They start a business, they put the product out there, and then they wonder why it's not gobbled up. Why everybody who claims to be their friend has not beat their door down, packed their house to support their business. Well, one thing I learned being educated in business first is that people have to see something a bunch of times before they want to buy it. 
when you want to buy a product, they say that the average consumer needs to see it nine times before they buy it. But the average consumer forgets about it. Every three times they see it, they forget about it twice. So when you want that new thing, that new iPhone, that, 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 that new TV, that new car, you got to see it 27 times before you decide to buy it. Are we willing to put what we're trying to sell out in front of people 27 times? That one person before they buy it. Are we willing to put whatever it is we're selling out in front of people 27 times at least? Are we willing to put Jesus out in front of people 27 times? Are we willing to put St. Paul UMC out in front of people 27 times? We have to be willing to go over and over and over again to do it because people don't make a snap decision off of that. People spend billions of dollars subliminally putting stuff into your head to make you want to buy it so they can get to 27 faster. But it's the same thing. And sometimes it's not exactly 27, but you got to see it over and over and over again. And you go from not wanting it to wanting it. We have to keep trying. And it's like that with anything. They, there's a book called Outliers where they talk about if you want to be, uh, it, I, they, they, they studied virtuoso uh, violin players and found out that they were spending like 10,000 hours practicing the violin before they got to the level that they wanted to get to. Are you willing to put 10,000 hours into any venture that you want? Hmm. Or do you think just because you decided that you wanted to do this business, that you decided that you wanted to do this project, that you decided that you wanted to go off into this venture, that that's what it was going to take and people were just going to shower with support? We have to keep going and we have to not grow weary while doing good. Because if it's a good thing, it'll come to fruition. It just may not come to fruition on the timetable that you thought it would. So we don't give up. And the other reason we don't give up while we're doing good is because it's not our job entirely. Uh, reminded of Mother Teresa who started a, well, started multiple orphanages, but she had one in Calcutta. And before she started, when she was, as she was a nun, she went to Mother Superior, who was the, the, the head nun, and the Mother Superior said that she wanted to start this orphanage for people. And Mother Superior asked her, well, what do you have? Mother Teresa said, I have two pennies. Mother Superior said, oh, you can't start an orphanage with two pennies. Mother Teresa replied, no, but with two pennies and God, I can start an orphanage. So we don't grow weary while doing good because we're not supposed to do it ourselves by ourselves. We're supposed to do it with God so that when we look back on it, we'll say, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? I don't know how I got these degrees, but if it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? I don't know how I kept a roof over my head by myself, but if it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? Hmm. All right. So we have to understand not to grow weary while doing good because we're needed. We use God's help to go forward. 
Then it says, therefore, as we have opportunity in verse 10 to do good at all, especially those who are the household of faith, the church has a responsibility to relieve the needs of the people. Mm -hmm. James said that true religion is this, pure and undefiled religion, is to take care of the widows and the orphans. The widows and the orphans during that time were people who could not take care of themselves. We don't come here just to enjoy being in this exclusive club. We come here to do work and help those who are less fortunate, especially those who don't believe. The church is an extended family with mutual responsibility to each other. So how you treat the community by and large is how you're supposed to treat family. Do you do your family like that? Do you walk past your family and not address any of their needs? Do you not speak to your family? Do you tell your family they need to figure out how to do something on their own or do you help? Church has a, 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 a mutual responsibility. And then we get to the text in the end where it says, read, see how I've written with large letters. See what with what large letters, rather, I've written with my own hand. Uh, the Apostle Paul often dictated his letters, did some talking, and somebody else wrote it down. But when he got to this last part, he wrote it himself. And now there are some scholars that say he wrote with large letters because he couldn't see well. But there are other scholars that say he wrote with large letters because he wanted to make sure that they understood what he was saying. The equivalent of typing an email in all caps. I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. As, my, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised only that, so, so only that they may suffer, not suffer, rather, persecution for the cross of Christ. For even those that are who are circumcised, uh, for not even those, rather, who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. We spend all this time getting caught up on the rules instead of just loving each other. We spend all this time getting caught up on saying you're not saved enough and you don't know Jesus well enough so that way nobody realizes that we have our own struggles. And he's saying that they boast in the flesh but if you try to boast in the flesh you're trying to save yourself. You can't save yourself. If you could save yourself there would have been no need for Jesus. If you boast in the flesh, you get the flesh result. But Paul tests the work by comparing everything that's been done to the cross of Christ. So if there is anything to boast in, it's the fact that Jesus came, born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried, and rose again on the third day. That is something to boast about. I can't tell you what the hot songs were last year. But I know 2,000 years ago, over yeah. 2,000 years ago, there was a man from Galilee that came and died on the cross with my sins in mind. And so if there is something to boast about, it would be that. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. So we could argue about who's following the rules to a T. We can argue about who we think is saved or not, which is really a waste of time because neither one of us have a heaven or hell to put anybody else in. 
They say that there's going to be multiple supplies is when you get to heaven. One of them is that you're there. Because just as much as you point out the mistakes of somebody else, best believe that somebody could point out your mistakes. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we all have an opportunity to have redemption in Christ. The Bible says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only forgotten, begotten son that whosoever, no qualifier on that, no address, no income statement, no level of education, no family lineage, whosoever. God's grace is available for all, whosoever. Anybody that wants to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior can do so. Whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And then it says, as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. I find it interesting because that's in a sermon of itself. That final, that 16th verse, rather, is a sermon all by itself. Here you have Paul, who has been dealing with these people, trying to undermine his church. Out here telling the people that have just started to get to know Jesus that you're not saved enough. That, that you need to do extra stuff in order to come to Jesus. He still speaks a blessing over them. He still wants peace and mercy and God's blessings to surround him. He's able to love his enemy. He's able to speak well of his enemy. He's, he's able to still speak a blessing over them because they are still just as much God's children as he is. So no matter what kind of disagreement you can have, we are all still God's children. And there's really nothing you can do about it. Ephesians 4 tells us to be kind to one another. Why? Forgiving them. Why? Because Christ forgave us. That same amount of forgiveness that we want Jesus to forgive us. Oh, forgive me for my sins, Lord Jesus. Save me. I know I'm not worthy. I need it. But then when the next person offends us, we're ready to throw them up on the cross. That same amount of forgiveness that you want from Jesus, you need to be able to extend to other people. And speak a blessing over them. Proverbs says that it, it tells us when we treat those who treat us bad uh, nicely, it heaps coals up over their head. We're, 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 to grow, we're not to grow weary while doing good because it's hard dealing with some people. But we have to show the same kind of love to them that we want Jesus to show to us. And we can't get tired doing it. What if God had got tired of us? What if Jesus had decided I don't really want to go to the cross for them? What if Jesus had gotten tired on the way to Calvary? What if Jesus had gotten off the cross and said, you know what? Y'all can save yourselves. I'm good. I'm done with this. But he didn't. He went to Calvary and they hung him on a tree and he died and he rose again. And because of that, we need to continue to love one another. Has thou not known? Has thou not heard? The word of God is everlasting. He gives power to the faint and to them who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youth will fade. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, run and not get weary, walk and not faint. So in this life, when I think about how Jesus loved me, I can mount up wings as eagles and fly as high as I can. And when I can't fly, I'm a run. And when I can't run, I'm a walk it out. 
Why? Because Jesus did that for me. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come.